0: If you have some other way to really convince people, let me know because I don't know any other way. I do not know any other way. Actually, I was going to wear my, uh, the, the pin that I have for being a supporter of the San Francisco Opera because I' you know it's, I'm, I, I, I feel like institutions that serve a great purpose in the country and in the community are you know I try to support them at the modest level that I can. Okay, enough. Take a breath, Sylvia.
1: <laughs> okay, go.
0: <laughs> All right, where to start, where to start. Oh, I know where to start, not where I thought I'd start. Different place. Uh, yesterday, by the way, one of the things on the website is, uh, is a new blog If you haven't checked the website, every day on the website there's a different video of a different person doing a five-minute teaching. You go thousandsofbuddhas.org and every day it pops up a new video. Yesterday it was me, but there are 20 people on the Teachers Council and every day it's a different one teaching. And as of yesterday there's a new blog site and every couple of days I am saying something else. And yesterday, not about joining, just doing a little teaching.
1: Uh,
0: Yesterday I wrote this, uh, and I thought about it while I was giving the instructions this morning. At the California Academy of Sciences today, I stood with two of my grandchildren, with a group of people waiting for the Foucault uh, pendulum to knock over the next peg. You know that? Yeah. yeah. It happens every 30 minutes, more or less, as the earth turns. We stood for perhaps 15 minutes. Most people watched in silence and with rapt attention. I thought about taking photos, but it's not correct to take photos of people just, without asking them. But I saw people just looking, looking, looking. <laughs> I think the mind really wakes up when something marvelous, like the earth turning predictably, happens. I realized as I was, that as I was, as I was watching, because we stood a long time, that my mind got quite peaceful. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And you don't look away because the closer it gets, the more you don't want to miss it. You know? <laughs> and everybody stood quietly back, forth, back, forth. And then all of a sudden I hear a, a, a voice. It, was, it sounded to me like a young voice, a teenager, I think, saying, you know, imitating the hypnotists in old movies, saying, your eyes are getting heavier, (laughs) you are getting sleepy. It was very funny actually, I thought it was charming. Uh, And the truth is uh, that I often tell meditators on retreat uh, uh, to pay attention to the breath coming and going and coming and going, noting the rhythmic changes and I say that it settles the attention. And I also add, that it's important to stay alert so you don't become somnolent. When, so the hypnotist would say, your eyes are getting heavier and you're getting sleepy. It used to be for people with insomnia, they would do it. So when, when we say, watch the to and fro, be with the to and fro of the breathing or the to and fro of sounds or the to and fro of anything, it's to get the message that things come and things go. It's not to fall asleep. And I also tell people, and that's what I was thinking about, people watch because it's going to knock over that peg at exactly the right time, and that's marvelous. But I think actually pay, when we say pay attention to what's happening, what's happening and what's happening and what's happening and what's happening, that we're also hoping to see something marvelous. What we're hoping to see is uh, that things come and go, that certain things cause certain other things, that... Uh, Wanting it to happen when it isn't happening is problematic. Being all right with whatever, with whatever, whenever, is really a freedom in the mind, and that's why the mind is so relaxed. Not wanting other than what's happening now or what the, what the truth is of now is really freedom, and that's really what we're practicing here. And I think you can see it anywhere in your life. You can see it waiting in a line or being at the dentist or wherever else. When we sit here quietly and there isn't a lot to pay attention to, it's easier to pay attention to how the mind feels unusually relaxed. But I felt unusually relaxed at the, at the pendulum yesterday. So what else I wanted to talk about, the other thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to go back to uh, the topic we discussed last week just to start and catch ourselves up and talk about um, uh, slogans because I did a particular kind of slogan practice over the weekend. How many people were here last week? So, all right, so I have to do a little bit of a recap about slogans. In it, Thank you very much. In the Tibetan tradition, there's a... Uh, there's a, there's a, there are practices in the Tibetan tradition that that we don't know so well that I actually don't know so well uh, either. I know about, but not well at all. So I was, I was reading from uh, an essay by uh, Judith Leaf, who's a Tibetan teacher in the Tibetan tradition, about using the slogans of lojong as training purposes for the mind. And last week we distributed these pages of slogans and in, in a little while, I'll distribute them out again. I haven't got enough for everybody, but we'll share them. But uh, maybe they're a little bit like the aphorisms of of uh, uh, the Analects of Confucius, or uh, the Sufi stories that people read every day. But they're, they're words that you take on as a practice that you think about and roll around in your mind. Perhaps they're like koans, like Zen koans, but it, it involves a certain amount of thinking but thinking in an extraordinary way in order to open the mind to what really is it that we mean to learn. Judith Leaf in her her, uh, essay about it says, the structure of the slogans are based on two underlying themes of Mahayana Buddhism, skillful means and wisdom. If you are to travel on the path, you need both you need to see where you're going and you also need a way to get there. So I think about the, uh, the, the, the uh, taking refuge in the Buddha. We take refuge in the Buddha and normally when I do that, I like to say what I am taking refuge in, what that means, I take refuge in the Buddha, is it's comforting to me and it inspires me to know that a liberated mind is a possibility for human beings. Uh, the Buddha was a, was a human being, and I am a human being, and all human beings have the, tra- have the challenge of living in a life, realizing that it's finite, realizing that we don't know when the end of it is going to be. I think about that a lot, you know. I'm in a lot of discussions now that have to do with being older. And uh, a lot of the discussions begin with saying, well, you know, one of the things when you're older is realizing that you don't have so much time left. And and, and in fact, I realize that. I don't have time to take up the trombone, for instance, (laughs) or to, to learn to tap dance or to read Tibetan. I mean, there are a lot of things that I don't have the physical ability to do anymore or the time to do. But the truth is we never know how much time we have left. At any age. And that's that's a really uh, 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 remarkable kind of thing uh, to think about. There are practices that people, some of my friends do, where every day they, re, re, they remind themselves, I am in the nature of a human being. The nature of human beings is that their life is finite. I could die. I could die today. And have that actually inspire their day, not in a gloomy way, but... It, uh, as a reminder not to mortgage away any of the day with uh, the mind sulking or the mind ruminating over an injury. I mean, if you had a certain amount of time, if someone, if you were suddenly on a holiday in Fiji or someplace beautiful for three days, you would not start to remember how, uh, I think you would try not to remember some difficult time in your life and ruminate about it right that time. Say well, I'll ruminate about this next week when I get home. But now I have just these three days. But isn't I mean you wouldn't want to mess up your holiday or mess up whatever. It is. But I'm thinking about messing up the time by uh, any time because you really don't know. And uh, on the other hand, you need the skillful means, which is there are things that come up in your mind that uh that blocks seeing that this is today this is what i've got this is what's going on and we do mortgage our time away from i was thinking about it came up for me as i was sitting this morning i was sitting quite happily and doing whatever practice i was doing feeling this feeling that mostly just feeling at ease and all of a sudden a story came into my mind one of the stories that comes into everybody's mind or many people about something in my life that's not you know, working out the way I want it to, and I don't feel so good about that, and I started to, it's like the wheels of your mind go into a little, mo- anybody had that?
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so, and I realize it, and to start to think, well, I'll work it out, that also takes a lot of time. And what I did quite spontaneously, I share this with you because I I didn't even think about it. Then I thought, oh, look, it really does work. I, in the middle of this, the, all the wheels whirring, I thought to myself, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. May all beings be peaceful and happy, and come to the end of suffering. And poof, it was gone. At this moment, I, I let's even say I might tell you I might not. I can't even remember what it was, actually, that had started the engines turning. But it just—it's a way. It was a way of catching it, knowing engines are turning, polluting my mind space. I don't need it. May all beings be peaceful and happy. It's like you say, Alibaba says, "Open sesame," and the and the and the mountain opens. This is like Sylvia Boorstein says: "All beings be peaceful and happy." And poof, that mountain that's blocking my view disappears. So, it, it, you find your own thing to say, but not even "Don't go there." Pull the attention back, bring it back to the breath. May all beings be peaceful and happy, and come to the end of suffering. Poof, gone. You can only do one thing at a time, but you have to remember to do the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> So she went through, uh, she, uh, uh, apparently Lo Jung was a teacher at some point and left these 59 slogans, which I dutifully found on Google and brought last week. And uh, she talks about a half a dozen of them in this article, which is in the latest issue of the Shambhala Sun, which if you want, you can find in the bookstore. And she talks about reflecting on various of these uh, uh, slogans and maybe taking one a week or one every three days and reflecting. One of them is always meditate on whatever provokes resentment. Uh, and you know, how do you understand that? I think uh, for for starters, I would I, the story I just told you about, I was sitting, and all of a sudden, something not going the way I wanted. And uh, I wouldn't say I reflected on that, on the particular issue. I noticed that was, I, I was mindful of the fact that the particular issue had clouded up my whole mind. So, uh, saying a blessing is, in, in a sense, being a, a, a nonviolent, violent, non coercive way of saying, Get out of here, issue. You know that, uh, <laughs> which is a little coercive and a little, uh, you know, aggressive. And just say, "May all beings be peaceful and happy." Poof, magic. Not all the time, though. So we have to talk also about what would you do if it, if it remains. Not everything disappears just like that. But I was going to tell you about the one that I meditated on particularly this weekend because um, it's a little bit of a story. I'll find, where's, where's the one? And then maybe we'll talk about some more of these uh, particular ones. Because there's a certain way in which I think, in which I think that each of these slogans could remain a person's slogan for a long time, and you could meditate on it. Uh, they, they unfold themselves in a certain way. The slogan number 48 is train without bias. It is always crucial, it is crucial always to do this pervasively and wholeheartedly. That's why I remembered, by the way, to bring the Zen patriarch who begins, The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. I remember when I first read that, by the way, 30 years ago or so. Look, it's going to fall apart sometime. I tried to replace it, by the way, but this particular little issue edition was not reissued. I can find the Zen Patriarch. You can find it on Google. Just Google the faith verses of the third Zen Patriarch, but you don't get this lovely little uh, tattered book. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences, When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. (coughs) Slogan 24 is, change your attitude but remain natural. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like about what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. That's how it starts. That's great, isn't it? I mean, I love this. I know other people who carry it around on their person. I think what I'll do, I could tell you this story, but I think I'll read it to you because it's important about... But how I chose to write it and I'll tell you about it. This was uh, uh, in response to uh, Serena who's the consultant to the uh, Thousands of Buddhas campaign and the capital campaign said you know the website isn't uh, Doesn't change enough and it's not totally personal. Why don't you write a blog? And then it'll it'll be your personal edition. People will read the website more. And you can teach Dharma every day that way. So we're seeing how the blog thing goes. And that was, she told me that last week. And I said, well, I'm going to Las Vegas over the weekend. So she said, oh, write about Las Vegas. That'd be a good blog. <laughs> the taxi driver in Las Vegas on my return to San Francisco said... People are all excited and happy on their trip from the airport to the hotel, but going back to the airport, they are usually sad and often sick. He said it without judgment, not at all unkindly. I had only been at the resort hotel casino overnight, but his brief statement summarized the gist of what I'd been thinking about while I was there. It was my first trip to Las Vegas. I went to accompany my grandson who is systematically flying to locations not far from the Bay Area in an attempt to habituate himself to the very weird feeling he has on takeoffs and landings, probably an inner ear anomaly. As a toddler, he began objecting vigorously to elevators. By the way, it doesn't say that here, but my grandson is 25 years old. I mean, he's a university graduate. He's got a great job. His life is fine. It's just, it's limiting not to be able to get on an airplane. And he's decided to habituate himself to it uh, in the company of someone he's comfortable with. So he's taking trips around. It's a far out thing to go on a trip with your grandmother.
1: (laughs) To Las Vegas. Vegas.
0: (laughs) Recognizing that my mind in anticipation of the trip was shaped by a negative view of Las Vegas, and people who go to Las Vegas, and what I expected correctly would be a culture of excess, I made a conscious intention to meet the whole experience with an open and curious mind. I didn't undertake the trip as spiritual practice. My friend Tony Bernhardt purposely listens to vituperative talk radio in order to practice equanimity. (laughs) Did you know that, by the way? Yeah, I think that's so far out. You know, he told me about it and he explained it. And I said, that's too hard for me. I can't do it. But he honestly does do it. Uh, I didn't undertake it as spiritual practice, but I realized that it could be. I also knew that if I did not take care not to have my mind fall into the confusion of aversion, I would mess up the good time I hoped to have with my grandson. I did have a good time. The first friend I met on my return said, you liked Las Vegas? It panders, it panders to greed. It tempts people with false expectations of winning money and with the idea that the money will make them happy. It celebrates addictions. I don't disagree. I even saw a huge billboard promoting a nightclub called Dao with the invitation <laughs> to enjoy an evening of Buddhist nightlife. It's really bad, you know, I thought about it. I have a f- I, I, I did not, I have a photo of it I took with my telephone, and I thought about posting it with a blog, but I thought that's over the top, I'm not going to do that. Uh, my grandson said to me, do Buddhists have nightlife? So... <laughs> So I said, "Well, you know, uh, I, I imagine Buddhists have lives like everybody else, but they've got a picture of the Buddha up there on that on that billboard, and so what they they are, they are meaning to use the Buddha as a symbol. And monks do not have nightlife of of the kind that you find in Las Vegas. Anyway, I wouldn't say I liked it. I tried though. Each time my mind wandered, wobbled. Each time my mind wobbled in the direction of dismay." to not tell myself a judgmental story about it. Instead, I tried each time to notice what I appreciated. I appreciated that the people around me in the streets and the restaurants and the Cirque du Soleil show at night were remarkably diverse. I remarked to my grandson, born in 1987, that in the mid-50s when I was his age, I would not have seen an African-American man holding hands with a European woman at the table next to me at a restaurant or two men registering together at the hotel online in front of us. And even though it feels usual in San Francisco, it still pleases me to see it in other places because I know it isn't true everywhere. I appreciated the foreign tourists around me being awed by what I imagined they saw as American Hollywood theatrical ingenuity. Lots of ooing and pointing at amazingly painted ceilings mimicking the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> or the, streets of, of the street of restaurants designed to look like Venice at twilight. I appreciated the joy of the people around me taking pictures of each other in front of giant floral displays. I appreciated the talent of the performers in the Cirque du Soleil show, who not only danced and sang and did acrobatics, but also dove in and out of a pool that kept appearing and then disappearing as the stage covered it. I appreciated the beauty of the several wedding parties we passed in the course of just walking around. I appreciated the fact that my body did not wilt from walking around outdoors for a long time in over 100-degree temperature. I appreciated the air conditioning. (laughs) I I appreciated that my grandson, who will probably always have a very weird feeling on takeoffs and landings, will become comfortable with it. I mostly appreciated that I had a good time. Putting aside judgments turns out to be a very valuable practice for me The line from the Third Zen Patriarch, only cease to cherish opinions, seems freshly significant to me, and I'm inspired to keep that central in my practice. So that's it. So I came home, and uh, I wrote that just the minute I got home, and uh, I told somebody else I'd written a blog about going to Las Vegas. They said, Las Vegas? You wrote a blog about, you know, the same again. What will people, again, what will people think? Dharma teacher goes to Las
1: Vegas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody said, did you say that you didn't drink and you didn't gamble? I said, no, I didn't say that. We didn't, but I didn't say it because I felt that was protesting too much. That was not the point of the blog. The point of the blog is what can you do, not letting the mind wobble it, when it starts to be dismayed in the direction of judgment, I, I, you know, I do I that I do think it 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 glorifies addictions. It I see people with uh, I, uh, with T-shirts that say "Go for it," uh, I, <laughs> T-shirts with expletives that I wouldn't use here or in an article about uh, the future and what we could do with it. <laughs> That were remarkable, <laughs> meaning a complete. Dis- it mean- it meant a complete uh, lack of concern for the future. In more crass language, uh, it 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 wasn't it, it wasn't um, it's it's not uh, it's not a uh, it's not a place I'd go back to again. I thought actually of writing that in the blog, next time we'll go to Santa Fe. But I didn't want to do that because they've got people who live in Las Vegas. It's a, there are 750,000 people who live in Las Vegas and go to school and go to church and uh, operate knitting stores and uh, are clerks in supermarkets. And I didn't want to talk about it on Las Vegas. There's no point to keep the mind. You know, I went to Las Vegas and that's what I appreciated there. And I really, the important part of the whole experience was that I really felt different not having the judgments. And it was really a hard thing because it's easy to have judgments. You you walk out of the elevator in the morning at 6.30 and there are people sitting at machines. You could have a judgment (laughs) about that. You could have a judgment about the T-shirts. You could have a judgment about... But the mind filled with judgments is a clouded mind. It just is. And it's a distanced mind. It makes a distance. I am good, and they are not. i am I am disdaining them. And disdain in the mind is painful. And I really learned that remarkably well from practicing not doing it. I didn't say I didn't say I'm not disdaining. I just didn't judge. And each time I appreciated, there's always something. I thought to myself, "Could you do it all the time?" Well, what if this moment—you know—there were those particular items that I appreciated, but moment to moment, I'm still breathing. Um, actually, he said to me at one point, uh, "We we we stood in a lot. We was somewhere, but we passed a number of people people with disabilities who were uh, being pushed by other people." and he said it's great that you can you know that you're as spry as you are and i said it's great you know every minute i appreciate that I really i mean that that not only that he wants to go that he's willing to take his grandmother on a holiday but that his grandmother can walk up and down flight of stairs at 76 that's a great thing and i appreciate that probably every day and i'm so aware of the the mind and in it's in it's appreciative mode is a relief, and I somehow I, I just wanted to convey that so much. I thought about it's a really a liberation, but that that uh, I think maybe I, I maybe we are trained in life, or I was, to be discerning, have an opinion about this and an opinion about that. I used to say to people, somewhat proudly, I come from a long line of opinionated women. <laughs> I do. Uh, I, and you know, I'm not I, I appreciate that, too. I'll tell you why I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that the women I come from were women who spoke out. they were not uh, in an era where um, in an era where women were still finding their voice. I, I came from a mother who spoke out, had lots of opinions, but my, my mother was actually a kind woman as well. So I don't remember her talking disrespectfully about things. She just had a lot of opinions. I think it was very good for me to feel uh, confident as a woman that I could do anything in the world. So I could appreciate that about having opinions. But I also, they could be, if someone asked me, do you have a thought about whether or not Las Vegas is wholesome? (laughs) I think it's not wholesome. I think uh, corporate greed isn't wholesome. I think uh, there are lots of things that I think are not wholesome, that are uh, that are not uh, that are not Las Vegas. I thought about if I had, if I did, if if my if I could, if I weren't there, would that be the end? It would not be the end of disdaining. I could disdain all over the place. I could disdain, well, I fill in the blank. Can you think of things that you would disdain? Disdain corporate greed. I would disdain people uh, who vote in a certain way. I would disdain a lot of things. Uh, I think disdaining is not good for you. It's not good for me, anyway. And I was thinking about how, how liberating it is just not to do it. You know that that not doing it is not amnesia, that I don't forget what I think is wholesome and what I think is unwholesome. It's just the not doing it. I'm, I'm really so clear about that. Does it, I don't have to do that again. You got that point, didn't you? Yeah. The great Way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, make this everything becomes clear and undisguised. So what? That what became clear and undisguised that it's remarkable what human beings can do by the way you know that street that looks like Venice <laughs> it does
1: <laughs>
0: and the, uh, it's, it's just remarkable is it a valuable thing to, you know it's there it's just one of the remarkable things it is ingenuity somebody figured out how to do that all of Las Vegas. As we landed in Las Vegas and you look at it and you look out the window, I said, you know, there was nothing here before 1945, because before 1945 there was no air conditioning that was widely available. It was the the availability of air conditioning, and I think mafia money, as a matter of fact, if I wanted a disdain, that that built Las Vegas. but." There it is and 750,000 people live there. So if you wish to see the truth then hold no opinions for or against anything. It's an amazing thing. It's that you can have a view but you don't have to cherish it. Only cease to cherish opinions. If you don't, you can see something another way. I sometimes think to myself, how many things do I see another way from how I used to see? Do you see things? Did you change your mind about something? What did you change? Who changed their mind about something? Who had a strong anybody change their political party in their life? You know, I just read Christopher Hitchens' uh, bio, last book, his autobiography. It's called Hitch Twenty Two, and uh, like Catch Twenty Two, you know, Hitch Twenty Two, and I enjoyed it because he's such a good writer and he's such a good essayist. And uh, he's so remarkably well-versed in history and literature, and I read the, from, his, from his childhood on reading, 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 enjoying, enjoying, enjoying. And then, in the last decade of his life, he changed his political views from the kind of liberal, progressive, you know, yes, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And all of a sudden, he changes his mind And I read that chapter three times, I promise you. I read it three times because I couldn't figure out. I thought this is some kind of sleight of hand. How did he do this? Because then he goes on and on, and I didn't get it. You know, I couldn't see how he did that. But it was interesting to me to see how hard it was for my mind that sees the, the world and its economics and its politics so much in the way that he saw it up to that Time that he stopped writing for the Nation magazine because he said, "I see things differently and saw things another way." That I I realized I see things so through the framework of that kind of what we what I think of as progressive or liberal ideology that I absolutely couldn't get it. That and then I finished the book. I liked the rest of it. after. I liked the whole book. Just didn't get it. And I realized that my the 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 architecture of my mind is put together in such a way that What I can't get, I can't get. But um, so I would like to. We don't have so much time, but I would like to give you. Who has their slogans with them? Anybody has their slogans with them. No. Okay. If you have a slogans with you, please take them out, and share them with two people either side of you. Marty, Amara, why don't you give these to every few people? Um, Amara or Phyllis give it to somebody with two or three people around them so you can look at somebody else's slogans okay there you go try to be near somebody who's got a piece of paper with slogans move around, sit next to somebody has everybody got someone to look with Share. Okay, I'll tell you. Here, here's the uh, ding dong. Everybody got. Does everybody have access to a slogan paper? Sit next. Stand next. To be next to somebody. Be next to somebody you want. You can come be next to me if you don't have anybody to be next to. Come be next to me. I, I would I pick out one today. We did this last week. So I, I thought about saying to you, pick out one that aims at the same end as uh, uh, Practice Without Bias. For instance, there's one that says uh, "Don't misinterpret." That might be a way, because when you look at something, don't misinterpret. Uh, you could think, "Well, how could I misinterpret somebody sitting at a at a, at a slot machine at six thirty in the morning? How could I misinterpret that?" You know. <laughs> that. But you know, somebody said last week, and when we were saying, "Tell me Western slogans, slogans that you know." Somebody said, don't judge a book by its cover. What do we know? Maybe that person is on their way to have a CAT scan for the presence or absence of something that they've been treated for and hopes it isn't there anymore. And their mind is so caught up in, in concern about that that they're absolutely desperate to have something to catch their attention so they're not thinking about it. I don't know what's in the mind of that person sitting there that's a big stretch, but who knows? So see, there are other ones that mean practice without bias because I think practice without bias means have a liberated mind. Have a liberated mind. So see what see if you can find any other one that you think means that. I'll come sit with you. You need you need to be with come sit with us. All right, come sit with us. Okay, you have five minutes to find it. Them. There you go. Okay. I hate classwork. <laughs> <coughs> I used to have a friend who ran out as soon.